The ETF Edge podcast is sponsored by Invesco QQQ, supporting the innovators changing the world. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Welcome to ETF Edge, the podcast. If you're looking to learn the latest insights on all things exchange traded funds, you are in the right place. Every week we're bringing you interviews, market analysis, and breaking down what it means for investors. I'm your host, Bob Pisani. Today on the show, it's all about Bitcoin after Grayscale's big lawsuit against the SEC tipped the scales in favor of the crypto bulls this week. Many are hoping this paves a clearer path ahead to finally seeing the nation's first spot Bitcoin ETF. How much closer are we to getting there? What other regulatory hurdles remain? Here's my conversation with Matt Hogan. He's the CIO of Bitwise Investments. Craig Salm is the chief legal officer for Grayscale Investments. And Jerry Sinderowitz is the shareholder at Vetter Price and an attorney advising ETFs for over 20 years. Craig, I want to start with you. I know you were personally involved in this case. You're the chief legal officer right. for Grayscale. It was a unanimous decision. How are you feeling? How's Grayscale doing? Yeah, so first, Bob, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Um, we're feeling very, very good about the outcome of this case. Yesterday, a panel of three judges ruled by unanimous consent in Grayscale's favor. It's a win for us, it's a win for our shareholders, and it's a win for the whole crypto community. But just taking a step back, this is really a culmination of something that started back in 2013 when we first launched GPTC, ultimately with the intention of eventually converting it into an ETF when permitted by the regulatory environment. Fast forward, we refiled this application to convert into an ETF on the same day the first Bitcoin futures ETF started trading. The reason why we did that is because we took the view that if the commission is okay with Bitcoin futures, which are derivatives of physical spot Bitcoin, which is in GBTC, they must also be okay with spot Bitcoin ETFs. Unfortunately, we were denied the following June. And so again, that very same day, we filed this lawsuit. Yesterday represents the culmination of all of that work with this three judge panel ruling in our favor. So it's great progress for ETF efforts and a really positive step forward. And the court agreed with you. Essentially, they said, Bitcoin futures, Bitcoin spot, like products. You prove one, you have to prove the other. Matt, it seems like uh, the ball's in the SEC's court right now. Game this out for us. What happens next? Yeah, I do think the ball's in the SEC's court. I think Grayscale did a great job taking this to court, making convincing arguments. And what it means is that the SEC can no longer deny spot Bitcoin ETFs on these concerns around market manipulation and surveillance. It had already blessed Bitcoin futures ETFs those track the spot price of Bitcoin. So it has to allow spot Bitcoin ETFs under that standard. Now, there are other requirements in place and the SEC and issuers like Grayscale and Bitwise and BlackRock will go forward and discuss those other issues with the SEC. But I'm pretty optimistic that this was a major step forward for the industry, a major win for investors. and puts us hopefully on the path to seeing a spot Bitcoin ETF launch here in the US sometime in the coming months. Uh, Jeremy, uh, I, I read the ruling, and uh, given how I, harsh is the word I would say the ruling was, uh, it would seem there's a fairly high barrier for an appeal. I mean, what grounds could they appeal on? The court said Bitcoin futures and Bitcoin cash are fundamentally similar products. You approve one, you have to approve the other. It, it seems unlikely that an appellate court would reverse that. I'm, but you're the lawyer here. What other arguments could, could they make if they wanted to appeal? Yeah. Well, it's tough to say. Um, in th- it, it, I don't. I didn't see in the ruling any obvious grounds on which an appeals uh, on which the Supreme Court or a full 
or the full uh, DC Circuit could uh, seize upon to overrule it. Um, it in, in addition to the resounding nature of the decision itself, it also helps the fact that the three-judge panel that heard it would, was um, a fairly a diverse panel in terms of um, in terms of politics and background. Um, so there weren't any, there isn't an obvious partisan slant or, um, or, or, or bias that someone could point to uh, as potential grounds for appeal. Um, it's always possible that the court could, that um, the SEC could argue that the court, um, the court didn't properly credit the SEC's discretion uh, that they're entitled to exercise both under under the statute and under relevant uh, precedents that are still in effect governing the uh, the Administrative Procedures Act. Um, but I agree with you that based on both the lineup of judges and the evidence presented by Grayscale and, and affirmed by the court, it looks like it would be a high bar. Yeah. Uh I don't want to put you on the spot. You've argued the other side here, but what what grounds for appeal would there be? I mean, you're the, you're the lawyer. I know you're representing Grayscale here, but I've been through the opinion many times. I have to say, it was essentially the best possible opinion that we could have gotten. The court really leaned into the common sense and compelling legal arguments we've had, which is that futures and spot for all regulatory purposes, for all ETF purposes, are essentially the same. So you have to treat them the same. Um, I think it's a very you know, clear argument to understand intuitively. We also gave quantitative analysis from Professor Bob Whaley, who was the inventor of the VIX index. Yeah, I know. He did a years-long study showing that futures and spot were 99.9% .9 correlated, yeah. which is to say they are the same for ETF purposes. I, I wonder if they're regretting the decision to approve Bitcoin futures, because that, that was the mistake, if, if you want to call it a mistake, that they made. I mean, had they... Once they committed to that, as the court pointed, they were essentially committed to the concept. I would, I would not call that a mistake at all. That is Obviously good for not, investors. The, the it's good for the Bitcoin people community. people at the SEC who think that this is a mistake. I would, don't think so. I think they saw a reason why they were able to get comfortable with Bitcoin futures. They trade on the CME. They saw the surveillance that takes place there and feel that can account for things like fraud or manipulation. Our view is that that surveillance can also account for any concerns in the underlying spot Bitcoin markets. We got to an impasse with the SEC. It was a professional disagreement. Yeah. We chose to you know, pursue this in, in litigation, which was yeah. not an easy decision to make. It's not a, something we take lightly to sue our regulator, but it was something we felt we had to do on behalf of our investors. Well, you moved the ball yesterday, forward, and it turned out yeah, to be uh, it was court, expensive. Yeah, yesterday the, the court right agreed thing. with us. Um, I will say, though, it's not technically back in the SEC's court today. Under the federal rules of appellate procedure, there's a 45-day window where they can appeal the decision. And so we just have to wait that out and respect that yeah. process. Well, yeah. But, so let me take the other side of this, uh, Matt. If the SEC chooses not to appeal, um, what kind of time frame are we looking at to get these to the market? And, and there, there seems to be a consensus that if the SEC approves a Bitcoin ETF, they should approve all of them at once. Uh, I, Matt and Craig, maybe you can both agree on that. I mean, does everybody at least agree on that? And give us a time frame. Uh, you know, time that's assuming there's no appeal. Yeah, I, I think lining up multiple products to launch at the same time would be the best possible outcome for investors. Create a competitive field. You would likely see the lowest prices and the best quality products. So I'm hopeful that that's the outcome we see. But of course, we don't know that. In terms of the timeline, you know, these 33 act Bitcoin ETFs move on a very specific regulatory timeline with deadlines for review. The next deadline that is up is actually at the end of this week for the, the Bitwise application, but the SEC could uh, delay that review for another 45 days. 
ultimately, uh, the, the, the calendar ends and a decision needs to be made sometime toward the end of the year or early next year. But we don't know what's going to happen, Bob. But that's the window you're looking at. Sometime in the next, let's say, five or six months, uh, we should see significant progress. Do you agree with that? I mean, assuming there's no appeal. Yes, I mean, I'm focused on GBTC. Our circumstance is unique in that we have an actual fund today with yeah. billions of dollars of AUM. It's trading tens of hundreds of millions of dollars in daily volume. It represents nearly a million investors across all 50 states, all wanting it to be an ETF. So the stakes are just a lot higher for us, and that's what we're really focused on right now, getting this over the finish line and converting GBTC into an ETF. Uh, Jeremy, uh, could the SEC come up with some kind of new rationale out of nowhere about why this application should not be approved and then dare grayscale to sue them again? So, I mean, we know they can't use this argument that there is not a market of sufficient size to prevent manipulation. Okay, that's gone. But are there any other arguments they could come up with? It's certainly possible they could come up with something, and I certainly don't want to give the SEC um, too many creative ideas about where they um, about um, other ways they could possibly um, they could possibly attempt to uh, reject these filings. Um, but for the last several years, the SEC really has put all its eggs in this basket of the that was reject uh, that. Uh, was rejected by the court yesterday. So it will, I think, be pretty difficult to make a compelling argument that all of a sudden there's a new um, there's a new issue that they haven't focused on in these um, denials for several years, but are important enough to continue denying these applications. You know, Matt, there, there, there is other, one other possibility here, and it's sort of a scorched earth possibility. The, the SEC could just kill the Bitcoin futures ETF, right? I mean, is there anything that would prevent them from doing that? It's, I, I don't think that's going to happen, but they could say, well, we made a mistake and, and kill it. Is that a possibility yeah, I, at all? I, I, I think that's highly unlikely for two reasons. Yeah. One, I don't think we have any example in the historical literature of that happening. And the other thing is that ETFs are good for investors. People want access to Bitcoin. They're buying it in a variety of ways, including unregulated ways. An ETF would just make it safer, cheaper, more efficient, and add regulatory protections to help investors get the exposure that they're going to get anyway. So I think that would be a step backwards for investor protection. And I don't think that's what the SEC is trying to do. They've been careful and cautious about reviewing Bitcoin ETFs for the last 10 years. Early on, the market really wasn't ready for a spot Bitcoin ETF. I think the argument we and others are making is now we are, and I think that's that's still the likely path forward. Um, Craig, I want to just switch gears a little, talk about uh, these sur these applications have uh, surveillance sharing agreements with the exchanges that would allow for sharing of information about market trading activity, about clearing activity, and about customer identification. And there's also uh, ways to seek to ensure investor assets can't be diverted by an exchange to an unauthorized party. And I know that was an issue with FTX. Um, is that enough to reduce concerns about market manipulation? Because these concerns about market manipulation haven't gone away because of this ruling. But address that issue about the surveillance sharing. Yeah, so I mean, on, on the concern, any concern you might have about the underlying Bitcoin market structure, that is an identical concern for the Bitcoin futures. So it's just inconsistent to be okay with futures, but not spot. And in terms of surveillance, this was in our 19 before, it was in our lawsuit, it was in the court's opinion yesterday. We all agree that the surveillance on the CME that has oversight over Bitcoin futures 
is sufficient to account for surveillance in the underlying Bitcoin market structure, which is what would price directly in these ETFs. So we already have surveillance share agreements. It's with the CME. I think having more surveillance share agreements with exchanges like Coinbase is definitely another positive step forward, but it's not a need to have in this Bitcoin ETF context. Yeah. Uh, meantime, Matt, uh, these Bitcoin futures are doing well ever since uh, BlackRock said they were going to go in here. I, I was talking to ProShares yesterday. They, their Bitcoin strategy ETF, the, the original BITO, just passed a billion dollars in assets. So there's definitely this is definitely stirring up some interest. Absolutely. Look, you have the world's largest asset manager saying Bitcoin is going to be an investment that many institutional investors want to make for the foreseeable future. That is a huge endorsement. Our view at Bitwise is we've entered or are entering the mainstream era of crypto, where it goes from being a niche asset to a mainstream asset. ETF progress is one example of that. BlackRock is one example of that. And people levering or moving into those Bitcoin futures ETFs is an example of investors trying to get in ahead of that trade. If you think it is going mainstream, then it's an attractive asset uh, in many ways, uh, even today. Craig, what is the, the future for Grayscale here? I mean, I'm, I wonder how much of good news here. Now, you charge 2% right now for the Bitcoin fund. I, I, I don't think you're going to be able to charge 2% once it goes into a, a Bitcoin ETF. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but uh, you're likely going to have eight other competitors out there. I mean, how, how do you feel about all the competition now? And are, are you going to reduce the fees? Yeah, so we've actually been very public about that for over a year now. We are going to reduce the fee for GBTC upon ETF conversion. But right now, we do have this time period where we have to honor the court's process, await this 45-day clock, and then we are otherwise very focused on actively and uh, constructively re-engaging with the SEC to get this over the finish line. Jeremy, uh, give us a 30,000-foot view of the SEC and, wh- and how they came out of this. Was their reputation damaged at all here? I mean, I'm thinking about a larger issue about their ability to uh, create rules and regulation. Was there anything broad that you can come away from this and say, well, the, the court has, uh, has reduced the power of the SEC, or did they just make a simple legal error here? Okay. Well, it, I think in this particular case, there's an argument that the the facts lined up really badly against the SEC, such that the court uh, was able to rule against the SEC without necessarily um, casting aspersions on the SEC's larger regulatory agenda, whether in crypto or other areas of the financial industry. Um, that said, I think it is noteworthy that the court what did feel um, that the SEC exceeded its bounds so dramatically in this particular case. And at the very least, it and at the very least, it signals that the appeals courts are not necessarily going to be deferential to whatever the SEC, whatever rulemaking or other activities the SEC might undertake. So while there isn't this doesn't have direct precedent effect um, with respect to any of the other uh, potentially controversial activities the SEC might be undertaking, it does it, it, it does serve notice that the courts will be watching. Yeah, I agree with that completely. The, the, that magic phrase, arbitrary and capricious, which is, a, I guess, part of the Administrative Procedure Act, is, is the key thing to focus on here. Now it's time to round up the conversation with some analysis and perspective to help you better understand ETFs. This is the Market 102 portion of the podcast. We'll be continuing the conversation with Matt Hogan from Bitwise Investments. Matt, thanks for sticking around. Uh, We just spent 25 minutes talking about uh, what happened in the legal case. I guess the broader question is, 
Uh, to what extent um, does this ruling help drive some kind of wider ownership in, in Bitcoin and assuming a Bitcoin ETF happens? Uh, and to what extent does it make any price difference at all? Yeah, it's, it's a massive difference in terms of ownership, Bob. You remember 2003 when GLD launched. At the time, gold was a niche asset that didn't really belong in advisor portfolios, institutional portfolios. But once you could buy it in spot format easily through a standard brokerage account with regulatory protections, it really catapulted gold into the mainstream where it is today. Ultimately, that brought in $100 billion into the gold market. I think a spot Bitcoin ETF does something of the same thing. It moves it from the niche to the mainstream. It moves it from retail to financial professionals. And I think you'll see big inflows. And of course, that's supportive for prices. Yeah, I, I would certainly agree that when you've got a BlackRock that's interested, that will make it um, certainly somewhat uh, broader potential ownership. But I'm wondering whether it really solves the, the fundamental issue for cryptocurrencies. I, I mean, it, the, this is not the savior of the Bitcoin business, I don't think. I, I, I'm still waiting for a demonstration of a convincing use case. Is it, is it money? Is it a store of value? Is it a unit of account? Um, and, and beyond a small circle of fiat money anarchists, mo most people still seem to think it's some way to make money really fast. So it, it, I'm, I guess I'm trying to figure out, I agree it could bro drive broader ownership, but does it necessarily mean suddenly that we have a new asset class that's, that's in existence? How long is that going to take? Yeah, I, I think it's actually a big step forward to that, Bob. You know, I think of, of Bitcoin primarily as an asset that's trying to become a digital version of gold and making it available in an investable wrapper from the world's largest asset manager puts us much closer to that use case. Also, all the common criticism people make of Bitcoin, that it's too volatile, that it's not regulated enough, that it's not easy enough to access, that you have to be a computer scientist to gain exposure to it, that you can't trust custody. All of those start to fall away when it's packaged in everyone's favorite investment vehicle. So actually, I think it pushes us closer to its short-term use case as a store of value, and it actually pushes us closer to our long-term use case in terms of a, a, a means of payment even, because it will lead to more regulatory protection, lower volatility, et cetera. Yeah. I, I do think this is a step function moment at the market. I, I, I agree, the investable wrapper is an absolute key. I, I wonder if we can get more discussion away from crypto and more towards the wonders of blockchain and smart contracts and Ethereum, because that's what gets me excited, frankly. I, I am not entirely convinced of, of the use case uh, around uh, cryptocurrencies, but I am convinced of the of, of, that blockchain is a disruptive technology and smart contracts are disruptive technology. I certainly would like to hear more about that, man. I, I agree. Well, let's get to a, an Ethereum ETF. We can talk about that. Ethereum is the platform where that's taking place and that's growing. It's quiet right now, but it's growing. You're seeing big companies like Starbucks and Nike also moving into that space the same way BlackRock is moving into the Bitcoin space. So yeah. maybe not a lot of coverage, but you'll hear about it. Hear about it soon. Yep. All right, Matt, thanks for joining us. Uh, always a pleasure speaking with you. Matt Hogan is the CIO of Bitwise Asset Management. And thank you, everyone, for listening to the ETF Edge podcast. Invesco QQQ believes new innovations create new opportunities. 
Become an agent of innovation. Invesco QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc.